I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Short Tales a series of short stories written and read by me, Damien Robb. We'll get to this episode's story shortly, but first, I want you to picture a store. It's set up like a jeweler's, with all its wares on display. Lining the walls and cabinets are rows and rows of identical tiny vials, all filled with an amber liquid that seems to glow thanks to some cleverly installed backlighting. Inside each vial, floating in the amber liquid, is a minute squid, Their micro-appendages drift and dance, revealing that they are very much still alive. On the counter sits a single drawer of a different kind of product. Still tiny vials, still filled with liquid and squids. But this liquid is black and sluggish, and these squids look immobile and diseased. Okay, you ready? Good. This episode's story is entitled Once Lost, Three Times Found. I was going on three days without sleep. Three days spent looking for one that was lost. Those three days had gotten me here, the depository of the bloated man, which was rich because he barely looked like a man at all. He wasn't large, but all his parts were round, like a human-shaped balloon animal, orange and hairless, overfilled and ready to burst. What species he actually was, I had no idea. I stared across the counter at him. He smiled his too-wide smile, causing dusty orange baby-smooth cheeks to squeeze against the gleaming black beads of his eyes so that they disappeared almost completely. "'How can I find my day?' I asked. "'Well,' he drawled in a voice like dripping fat, "'I usually save information like that for customers. Are you interested in making a purchase?' I'm not a patient person on the best of days, let alone with sleep deprivation creeping in to corrode my composure." My upper lip twitched with a sneer and I forced myself to think of a loner's advice. Picture myself above it all and see how small the situation really is. I took a breath, turning my head upwards as I did so. Even in my imagination, the bloated man looked like a drowned and putrefying corpse. Still, it helped. What have you got? I asked. Oh my, I have so many fine options, quite a lot of business lately, sense of the times, you know. So many people either willing to rid themselves of unwanted days or desperate enough to sell their treasured ones. I'll just have whatever's cheapest. Oh no, that's no way to make a decision of this import. He turned to the wall of vials behind him, each one filled with amber liquid, in which floated a fingernail-sized squid. 
His thick fingers, stained with swirls of black and amber, reached out and stroked one. I have an absolutely splendid day passed on by an elderly Korean chap, his daughter's graduation, no less, on special at the moment. No? Very well. Perhaps this one given to me by a hippie from Queenstown the day her parents surprised her with a puppy when she was just twelve. Very cheap. Only three thousand. I forced myself to take another breath. Three thousand? Forget it. I just need information. Then you must make a purchase. Rules are rules. My lips pursed and I pictured the scene from above once more. You must have something cheaper than that. Only the miserables, but surely a person of your standing doesn't want one of those. His condescension made it clear exactly what he thought of my standing. Yeah, fine, whatever moves us along. If you insist. His grin grew wider across his round face as he unlocked a cabinet beneath him. He removed a cushioned drawer of vials and placed them on the counter. They were black instead of amber, and the squids looked mottled and emaciated. Let me see, let me see. Oh, yes, this one comes from a gent who lost both hands in a traffic collision. He was a musician, classical viola, very tragic. Spare me the backstory. I grabbed the viol closest to me. Here, how much is this one? That one, hmm, I don't know. Might be a bit strong for you. Torture, no less. How much? Two hundred. Perfect, I said, placing the money on the counter. Now, how can I find my day? My boots pounded heavily across the grey tarmac as I strode towards the shell of the light airplane. From the look of it, it had been sitting forgotten in this corner of the airport for years. The nose was sheared off and both wings were missing, leaving only the cabin which was etched in scribbles of moss and graffiti. It seemed an unlikely location for my lost day, but it was all the bloated man had given me. I peered in through the open orifice of the cabin doorway, the door long since lost. It was dark inside, the morning sun still hidden behind the nearby tree line. I heard a noise from somewhere within the cabin. Hello? I called out. Is anyone in here? Nothing. Then, a shuffle. Hello? I said again as I stepped inside. No response. I moved slowly down the aisle, trying to peer through the forest of seating. Midway along, I came across a pillow and blanket spread out across three of the faded orange seats. I heard movement again, behind me. I turned. I'm not going to hurt you, I said. I just need to ask some questions. A hand shot out from beneath the seats and grabbed my ankle. With a sharp pull, I fell face first towards the ground. A weight dropped onto my back and the figure on top let out a wild shriek. I twisted to throw them off but they held on tight to my hair and coat. I growled, done with this, and pulled my arms beneath myself and pushed up, throwing the figure back. I spun, ready to attack, and saw a skinny teenage girl in tattered clothes crawl beneath one of the chairs. I won't hurt you, I repeated. It came out as a growl. I thought of a loner and turned my head up as I pictured the scene from above. An abandoned aircraft, small in the scope of the entire airport. Two people inside, smaller still. Seriously, I just want to talk, I told her, my voice calmer. Her head poked out from behind the chair. Two small horns like those of a goat bracketed her suspicious face. A prairie, then. That jaundiced bastard could have warned me, but of course he hadn't. Repercussion, no doubt, for my low-cost purchase. I'm looking for something, I told her. Something lost. A day. The smallest of smiles lit her face and she stepped out from behind the chair. Lost, she said. Misha find? Yes, I said, smiling. That would be wonderful. She stuck out her hand, wanting payment. 
Sugar or salt were traditional, but I didn't have either. I searched in my coat pockets, finding only a few coins in the small vial. I considered the coins, then held the vial out to her. Her fingers gently plucked it from mine. She studied the small container, giving the dark liquid and the small squid hidden within an intense look. She gave a sharp nod and pocketed the vial somewhere within the folds of her torn clothing. She then turned her intense gaze to me. Dark, purple eyes stared deep into my own, then moved to map the rest of my face. Her arms arced and calloused fingers curled around my head. They held for only a second as her eyes flickered closed, then open. Okay, she said. It is found. Where? Bones. Bones. Yes, I see bones. Bones and stone. A cemetery? Her head and shoulders twitched, half shrug, half nod. I considered this. There was only one cemetery it was likely to be. Problem was, it was a good eight-hour drive from where we were and I was still running on three days without sleep. I looked at the prairie girl who had returned to studying the vial. You couldn't take me there, could you? I'll pay you. She thought about it, then nodded. No payment. This enough, she said, shaking the vial so that the squid's tiny legs waved. Her hand reached out, found my own, and in a second, we were gone. I stumbled out of the tree's trunk and fell as my foot found one of its many protruding roots. I swore, then picked myself up, turning to see Misha step forward, bark closing behind her. Careful, she said, smiling, her mockery clear. Yeah, thanks, I said. I looked around at the forest of tombstones, then back to Misha. You wouldn't know where... She pointed towards a grave a short way ahead of us. Thanks. I approached the tombstone and heard Misha's soft footsteps behind me. A wave of dizziness swept over me as I saw the name engraved on it and I knelt onto the freshly turned dirt. I'd been expecting this, but it still felt like an elephant had stepped on my chest. Clean, gilded letters were newly carved into the surface of the stone. Alona Jablonski. I looked up at Misha, who waved down toward the grave, indicating that what I wanted would be found beneath the soil. I nodded and began to dig at the fresh dirt. It took a little over an hour to unearth the casket. Misha refused to help. She instead sat cross-legged beside the grave, staring at her vial. The lid of the casket opened easily, and there she was, Alona, only slightly less beautiful dead than she had been alive. Hello, love, I said. Emotion welled at the back of my throat, and I let it come, tears sliding easily down my cheeks. I believe you have something for me. Pale hands lay crossed over a two-steel chest. Poking out from underneath them was the stoppered tip of a vial. I carefully pried them apart and took it from her. It was amber. I pulled out the stopper and raised the glass to my lips and felt the squid slide down my throat. Steam rose from the coffee in front of me. The memory of its rich smell returned, and I knew that next my head would turn, drawn by people passing outside the cafe window. Alona reached out a hand from across the table and laid it on mine. Is there anything we can do? I asked. No, she said, gifting me with a sad smile. The foretelling was quite clear. I will die and it will happen today. I said nothing, just stared down at her hand on mine. Besides, we know Resenti wants me dead. Even without the foretelling, I wouldn't like my chances. I wanted to return her sad smile with one of my own, but I knew I wouldn't. Knew that instead, I would ask, how long? Two hours. Resenti will enter our house where I'll be sitting, waiting for him. He'll give some ridiculous monologue, you know how he is. Then he'll get one of his mages to stop my heart. 
They'll bury me the next day at the cemetery near ours, gravestone and all. But you won't be there. A tear dropped to my cheek and a distant part of me wondered how this day's liquid could have possibly been amber. Next, I said, of course I'll be there. Then, after a moment's thought, why won't I be there? Because I have a plan, Alona said, unable to keep the smile from her face. What does that mean? You won't die? No, I will. Or at least my body will. I just won't be in it. I took in a deep inhale as the rest of the day returned to me. A wellspring of happiness had grown inside my chest and it felt ready to burst. I looked up from Alona's empty body to Misha, whose serious face studied me. You find your day? she asked. Ripples passed through my chest and my mouth as the well burst in a chorus of laughter. I found a lot more than that, Misha. I looked at Alona's bloodless face. You clever, beautiful, wonderful person! I reached my hands under her armpits and pulled her up. Why are you taking the dead girl? Misha asked, head tilted in question, less concerned with the grave robbing than confused by it. Because she's not dead, Misha, I said, unable to hit the grin from my face. Just temporarily not alive. Misha's head tilted further. Could you grab her feet? Misha pocketed her vial and did so. Where we take her? She asked. Our home. It's around the corner. We dropped Alona's body onto the couch with a heavy thud. Sorry, love, I said to the corpse. She definitely looked dead, Misha said, her face inches from Alona's. Not for long, dear Misha. Not for long. You're too cryptic, she said. It annoying. I laughed. I couldn't seem to stop laughing. <laughs> Fair enough, I said, moving to the kitchen to take a screwdriver from a drawer. You see, Alona and I, we are, were, ferrymen. Go-betweens for the natural world and the mystic. I moved back into the lounge. Misha followed, and I pushed the coffee table to the wall. If someone from your world wanted a job done in the natural, or vice versa, you'd hire us. I rolled up the rug and threw it to the side, revealing the floorboards underneath. What jobs? Misha asked. Well, anything really. Delivering messages, selling mystic products to naturals or natural products to mystics, helping folks across borders, and other less legal jobs. You were criminals. A number of the floorboards were held down by screws. I started unscrewing one of them. Of a sort, I suppose, but very small time. Although we did occasionally do jobs for some of the big timers. You ever heard of Resenti? The crustacean? Of course. He very bad. No prairie ever dealt with him. Yeah, well... You're obviously a lot smarter than Alona and I. We took a job to smuggle a seer to his lands, except it turned out the seer was less a guest and more a prisoner. Resenti had been capturing them from all over and locking them up, then forcing them to cast foretellings for him. The idea was that he would know his opposition's moves before they made them, as well as cut off their own access to the seers. Then he could kill his opponents or steal their business at his own leisure. All of which goes against the seers' core beliefs, of course, so they weren't giving up the knowledge easily. He'd killed three of them already, The one we were transporting would have been his fourth. I pulled away the first floorboard and went to work on the second. When Alona found all this out, she decided to free the seer, so the seer gifted her with a foretelling. Mostly, it wasn't good news. Namely, the time and place of her death, as well as a few other things. The second floorboard gave way. My heart began to race as I started on the third. Of course, Resenti was furious when he found out and came looking for Alona, killing her, just as the seer had predicted but not before she had told me. I lifted the third floorboard, but still couldn't quite reach underneath. They came for me next. I beamed the Resenti when Alona had set the seer free, but they wanted to search my memory to see if I'd known anything about it. I had, obviously, 
but by the time they caught up with me, I'd already extracted the days surrounding all this, the last of which ended up buried with Alona. Not even I know how she managed that, but she is nothing if not resourceful. Misha looked towards Alona's body, then back to me. Only problem was, the knowledge that I'd given away the days was in the days, so I didn't know where they were or what had even happened. Luckily, Alona had planned it all. She'd organised for a note to be delivered to me after Rosenti let me go, explaining that I needed to find my lost days. I was distraught, of course, but finding the days meant I had something to do and some small shred of hope. I've spent the last 72 hours looking for them. The fourth floorboard came free. I fumbled in my pocket for my phone. The one you helped me find was the last. I already found two more before that. And it filled in all the missing pieces, including how to bring Alona back. All we need now is... I turned the torch app on and moved my phone to shine it under the floorboards. There was nothing there. No! I screamed. I forced my head into the small space, looking for any sign of what Alona had left behind. But it was empty. She was gone. I pulled back and a small smudge of colour caught my eye. A fingerprint of amber and black. That bloated son of a bitch. Where is it? I screamed into his bulging face. Where is what? The bloated man asked with a pompous smile. You'll have to be much more specific if I'm to answer your rather aggressive questions. Misha let out a snort of anger behind me. The bloated man gave her a withering glance and I heard him whisper, filthy creature, under his breath. What you stole, I said, drawing his attention back to me. I know she came here. No, she asked you for advice. Asked if it was even possible. You knew her plan and then you stole it before I could find it. So tell me where it is. I don't like your tone or your accusations. You'll get the hell out of my store right now. The bloated man drew himself up using his bulging form as intimidation. I was far too tired and angry to give a shit. I reached across the counter, grabbed him by the neck and pulled his face close to mine. Where is it? I could hear Alona's voice telling me to pitch myself above the situation, to calm down. But I didn't want to calm down. I wanted to stay angry. But I glanced upwards nonetheless as I tried to picture it. The bloated man's eyes followed mine and I felt him swallow through the flesh in my hands. It was upstairs. I shoved him backwards and raced towards the stairway at the side of the room. He was only a step behind me, moving faster than I would have thought possible. I made it to the second level, little more than an open attic, and there she was. Alona, in the form of a large glass keg filled to the brim with amber liquid and thousands and thousands of baby squids. One for every day of her life. No! The bloated man roared behind me. It is the jewel of my collection! The ultimate prize! It's mine! I turned, ready to fight, and felt one of his round hands squeeze me by the throat and lift me into the air. You will never appreciate the splendidness of this accomplishment! Spittle spat at me with every word. It is my life's work! My face was growing hot. My eyes felt like they were bulging from their sockets and my lungs started to burn as oxygen failed to enter them. But it's her life! I gasped. From the corner of my narrowing vision, I saw Misha leap onto his shoulders. The bloated man squeezed tighter on my throat as he swung me around, attempting to throw Misha free. Misha rode his bucking one-handed, using the other to draw her vial from her clothes and pull the stopper with her teeth. She pulled back on the bloated man's head and poured its contents down his throat. His eyes grew wide, grip finally loosening as screams began to pour from his mouth. Misha leapt clear and I gasped in breath after sacred breath. 
The bloated man fell to his knees, screaming, intensifying as his mind recalled whatever horrible day Misha had forced him to ingest. Torture, if I recalled. It seemed appropriate. His screams followed us as we left the store, the glass keg clasped tightly in my arms. Misha held Alona's mouth open as I carefully poured her life back into her. It took hours, with us needing to stop between each mouthful to encourage the liquid and squids to slide down her throat. As the last one fell into her, her eyes opened. She blinked, then breathed, then smiled. So, it worked then, she said. Yes, I said, tears sliding down my cheeks. I pulled Alona to me and squeezed, breathing in her smell and warmth. I was so tired. Misha should leave now, Misha said. Oh, hello, Alona said to her. Misha, wait, I called, letting go of Alona to face the prairie girl. Is there any chance you'd be interested in helping us with the job? I'll pay you. I already owe you so much for everything you've done. Job? Misha asked, tilting her head. Yes, we, uh, we're planning to liberate... We're going to rob Rosenti blind, Alona cut in. And Simon's right. We could certainly use the help of a prairie. I'm Alona, by the way but I guess you already knew that. How can you rob Rosenti? Misha asked. He's very powerful. He is, Alona agreed. But I know things he doesn't know I know. Asir told me both where he keeps his wealth and his method of hiding it. Or at least, how he will hide it. He's going to move it in three days' time and I would very much like to take it from him. Misha shrugged, then nodded. Okay, Misha help. I smiled and hugged Alona again. Three days. I might just sleep right through. Thanks for listening to this month's short tale. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, to finish this episode off, I've recorded some afterthoughts, which detail where the idea for this story came from and any challenges I faced while writing it. If that feels too self-indulgent for your taste, fair enough. But if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I wrote this story half a decade ago. I rewrote it in the last two weeks. I want to tell you about both writings. The first one bloomed onto the page. 
I've always been a fan of fantasy, and so most of my stories seem to find an opportunity to bend that way. This one demanded it. All I started with was the title, but sometimes that's enough. It had a nice sound without any clear meaning, and so I started writing without having any true idea what the story would be. And that's when it bloomed. It was truly one of the first experiences I had as a writer where it felt more like I was discovering a story than creating it. I wrote the first half across two flights, from Melbourne to Brisbane and back again. I write sequentially, and so I started with the opening scene and explanation. Even that seemed to come from somewhere else. I didn't know that I was going to write about squids in tiny vials or that they would be a way to store the memory of a day, either good or bad, because all I had was that vague title. But when I reached out, there it was. Like it was obvious. Like it had been waiting for me. The story progressed. The discarded airplane was something I had witnessed while on those flights while writing the story, although I did add a bit of extra weathering to it. But I still didn't know who or what we would find in that plane. Once more, I reached, and once more, there was Misha, waiting for me. The rest of the story went much the same way. Like I had tapped into a world close to ours, and I was simply browsing that world's Wikipedia for details rather than making them up. I was making them up, of course. I think when writers have this experience of finding the story, it's really just their subconscious at work, and for whatever reason, in that moment, the conscious brain is able to tap into it freely and easily, and it's that which comes pouring out and onto the page. Either way, it's a rush when it happens, and something I truly wish for all writers. Then I got to the end, and of course, because I had done no planning, had no idea how it would finish. Once more, that answer seemed to come from that somewhere else. I had my character pry up the floorboards of their house, but I didn't know what they would find or fail to find underneath. Didn't know until I wrote about that black and amber fingerprint. And then it all fell into my head and into place. Of course we had to go back to where it started, and of course if one squid could take the place of one day, then thousands could take the place of a lifetime. I loved it. Loved the story, loved the world, loved the experience of writing it, and one day, hopefully soon, I want to explore that world further. Click around on their Wikipedia and see what else I might find. So, that was the first time I wrote this story. Now I want to tell you about the most recent one. I reread it about a month ago after I'd released the Nemesis episode and decided on Once Lost, Three Times Found as the next story for this podcast. I still loved it, loved the characters and the details and the easy magic, but the writing was garbage. I don't mean a shit on past Damien or his writing, he did the best he could at the time, and if anything, it was really nice to be able to have clear proof that I'd improved as a writer, something most of us aren't able to do while writing, being too close to all our stories, and which can only really be seen with the distance of time. Mostly, it was overwritten. Too much explanation, too many superfluous words, not enough trusting the audience. Because audiences are smart, they know story. We, as a society, imbue so much story on a daily basis that any writer out there might as well consider whatever audience they have as experts. What's more, readers don't want to be spoon-fed a story. They want, and should be, a part of it. Which means giving them just the pertinent details and trusting them to complete the picture giving them two plus two and knowing they'll find four. The memory scene was the worst. Boy, oh boy, did I lay it on thick. I practically shouted, This isn't happening! It's just a memory! He can't affect anything around him because it's just a memory. Do you get it? Do you get it? Ignoring the fact that many other stories have implemented this same device and so audiences are familiar with it, or even just that it's not that hard of a concept to understand. I cut that scene in half by the time I was done. And so that's how it went for the whole story. The bones of it were all there, but the flesh was bloated and overstuffed and needed trimming down. So I made it leaner. And I think it's a better story for it. 
I also want to note that this perspective and realization is really only one that comes with time, both time to become a better writer, but also time away from a story. First drafts almost need to be overridden. That's part of the process. But so is shelving it for a while before dusting it off and redrafting. All right, those are all my thoughts. But if you have any that you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Midday Pajamas. Until next time, this has been Short Tales and I've been Damien Robb. 